0: There are growing demands for more to be done to increase organ donation rates nationally. Nearly 700 New Zealanders are waiting for a kidney transplant that will lengthen and transform their lives. But a serious and growing organ shortage means some die waiting. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme examines whether more could be done.
1: In my early 20s um, I started having problems with my kidneys and um, I got monitored here at the hospital by the doctors for a number of years and then when I was um, 25 I, uh, my kidneys stopped working.
2: That kidney failure was a beginning of dialysis for Nathan O'Connell, a busy team leader at the Christchurch City Council. He spent six months on home treatment before the first of two kidney transplants altered his life. He describes waiting for a kidney as a very, very dark time.
1: I'd go into the room with the machine. I would set it all up, and that would take 40 minutes probably. Once you'd set it all up. You'd then put the needles into your into your arm, and then you would just start the dialysis process. and, and I would basically sit there. Um, I was on a bed, so I could lie down and sleep at times. But I found sleeping very difficult when I was on dialysis. So I'd go on at you know um, in the evening, early evening, eight eight o'clock something like that, and just and do dialysis for eight hours through the through the night. Very difficult in the middle of the night um, when you can't sleep and You've got a machine ticking away beside you and even with the lights out, there's lights on the machine and, and um, you've got needles in the arm, so you can only lie in certain places and you get cramps. and It's a very lonely process at times um, because you're the only one who can actually go through that.
2: The clinical head of kidney, liver and pancreas transplants in Auckland, Stephen Munn, says dialysis is terrible for patients.
3: We have patients who sit on the waiting list for years. Their lives are largely um, on hold. They're on dialysis. They can't uh, function at a normal level. They spend a lot lot of their time dialysing and feeling not so great. They worry about asking their friends and family to be organ donors. Uh, They feel guilty about that. They hear an ambulance go by and they wonder if it could be a potential organ donor and then they feel guilty about that. It's an absolutely miserable time for them.
2: The Medical Director of Kidney Health New Zealand, Kelvin Lin, agrees.
4: Well, it's a crisis because there there are people that we know we can help, there are people whose lives that we know we can save, and they're dying, waiting for organs.
2: I'm Karen Brown, and this Insight looks at the widening gap between the rate of organ donation, especially for kidneys, and those waiting for them, and at what could be done to reduce the shortage.
0: We're at 42
5: Huntington Drive in Rangiora. We're renting this place at the moment because um, we lost our house in
2: the September earthquake. Carmel Ridden has had a tough few years with the Christchurch quakes and serious kidney problems, but she's extremely happy this early spring day having coffee with daughter Mel. These are my eight grandchildren, which now, thanks to Mel, I'm going to see them grow old. Yeah, they range from 16 to 2. Love them to bits. Carmel Ridden has a new lease on life, The kidney she received almost two months ago from Mel got her off dialysis, which she had dreaded, and will prolong a life that was looking increasingly limited.
5: Towards the end, I was counting down my needles every day till the (laughs) transplant. and once I started feeling well when I went on to dialysis, I thought, maybe this isn't so bad after all. And I sort of adopted this thing about, I've got to be really positive about this, I've got to get this new kidney, I want to see my grandchildren grow old. And I knew that I I wouldn't if if I didn't do what I did.
2: Mel is 35 with two young children and donating one of her two kidneys was a huge decision that took two years to make.
5: It just got to the point at the end of last year where I thought, okay, you know, my kids are nearly five and three. They're at a better age now for me to be able to be out of action for a few weeks you know it's only a few weeks out of the rest of my life my biggest fear was um, what if one of them need one of my kidneys one day that was our biggest concern and my husband and I met with a, a surgeon about the middle of last year and he sort of put it into context really by saying we don't actually have kidney disease in our family what mum's got is not kidney disease, it's not hereditary, as far as they know. So he said, if one of my kids were to need a kidney one day, he said, you'd like to think they're probably going to be 40 or 50. And he said, you're either going to be not around or far too old. And he said, they've got their father and they've got each other. So that sort of made the decision for me, really,
2: yeah. Mel was young, fit and healthy, the best donor possible but it's a big two to three hour operation and she had never had anything like it before.
5: I've got a keyhole here and here, so that's where they go in and do all of the work. And um, so two keyholes and then as the surgeon explained to me he just uh, made an incision just on my belly button down probably ten centimetres or so and that's where he has to put his hand in and pull the kidney out.
2: It's taken the best part of a month for both women to get over the operation and back to normal life. Carmel is going back to work part-time. It's a marvellous result, 48 years after the first organ transplant in this country, a kidney, and 59 years after the world's first successful kidney transplant. Before this, those with chronic kidney failure died because there were no dialysis machines. This is Brian. Hello Brian, pleased to meet you. In the acute dialysis unit at Christchurch Hospital, the clinical head of nephrology, kidney specialist Nick Cross, introduces a patient on dialysis and explains the process.
4: Brian's connected to the the dialysis machine and it's, um, it's taking his blood out sequentially and putting it through all these tubes. And basically this little thing here is the artificial kidney on the side, so the blood's traveling through there and and being purified.
2: But dialysis isn't a cure, and a patient's problems can continue and even worsen on dialysis.
4: The outlook for people on dialysis is poor, actually, as a group. Within that, there's patients who do very well, and we've got lots of patients who have survived a long time on dialysis, particularly people who start when they're young and they only have one or two or no other health problems. But for the average person starting dialysis now, their chance of being alive in, in five years, so it's very poor um, and compares similar to a lot of cancers, actually.
2: Dr. Cross and others tell their patients what they need is a preemptive transplant, preferably from a living donor before they need dialysis. But it's far from plain sailing for many. First, there's a waiting list of nearly 700 people for a kidney transplant. Access to the waiting list has been formalised and only those with an 80% chance of being alive in five years are included. It's over to patients to find a live donor if they can, otherwise they'll wait, some for years, for a deceased donor organ. Doctors concede some die waiting on dialysis, but it's not known how many. Overall deceased organ donation is also very low compared with other similar countries. The medical director of Kidney Health New Zealand, Kelvin Lynn, says the figures here haven't changed for at least a decade.
4: We get about 38, 40 donors a year, and we do about 100, 120 kidney transplants a year, maybe 10 heart transplants, 12 livers, that sort of number. Most people who in, the, in this area will talk about the number of donors per million population, and so we're about eight. And Australia it was about 12, and they're going up 15, 16. Spain is over 30. Britain's got up again. So when we look at our comparators, we're not doing very well.
2: Organs can be donated by either live or deceased donors, and the numbers are about even. To become a deceased donor, a person must die in an intensive care unit while on a ventilator, so the health of the organ is maintained. Doctors must ascertain that an individual is likely to become brain dead or occasionally, after all circulation has failed, suffer what is known as cardiac death. Treatment is withdrawn when people are not quite brain-dead but very close and become organ donors if family members agree that's suitable. This highly sensitive process is coordinated by Organ Donation New Zealand, which points out it's rare for people to die in circumstances that make such donation possible. An average intensive care doctor might face the situation once a year and those in smaller centres once every five years but it was all too real for Wellingtonian Debbie Howard, whose husband Jeff died suddenly and unexpectedly in Wellington Hospital two years ago. We were both at our weekend home in Matamira
6: and I left him to come back to Wellington and left him working over there. It was Mother's Day, he should have come home for dinner and he didn't come home. I had to ring the neighbour over there to see if they would and see if he'd fallen off a ladder or something, <laughs> whatever. And they found him. He'd um, lain down on the bed and
2: was unconscious. Jeff, who was 55, had had a massive brain hemorrhage. Debbie Howard says she was in shock but knew what Jeff would have wanted. We'd
6: had a big discussion about it because Jeff's sister has liver disease and needed a transplant two years maybe before Jeff died. Jeff was contemplating being a live donor for her. He could have donated half his liver. So we'd gone down that track of thinking about organ donation. But also because of our boys both having disabilities, we've been involved in the health sector a lot. And so we've had this conversation about a lot of different health issues and things. And if you can help somebody else,
2: why not? Last year, 14 of the 38 deceased donors nationally died because of similar intracranial or skull haemorrhages. Four died from road accidents. Most donors were European, and they gave 54 kidneys, 12 hearts and 2 pancreases. 29 people donated their livers and 14 gave corneas, the transparent dome on the front of the eye. Debbie Howard says there were many tests before intensive care doctors would declare that her husband was brain dead. Which is really weird because um, he continues to
6: breathe with the aid of the ventilator and he continues to be kept alive until they harvest the organs, so it's a very weird state of limbo to be in. A transplant team came from Auckland to retrieve the organs. Whenever they had to do anything to Jeff, they always spoke to him as if he was a conscious patient. Everything was just done with courtesy, respect and oh, I just I just can't praise them enough. They were just wonderful. I went in and um, I couldn't actually say goodbye. It was a very, very surreal situation to be in. So when he went off to theatre, I didn't think he's going off to die. I thought he's going off to save people. And that's how
2: I thought about it. Debbie Howard says her husband donated his kidneys, heart, lungs and eyes, helping at least six people... The recipients have remained anonymous, but Debbie Howard says she's had letters saying they're doing well. She's grateful they could help so many people and firmly supportive of organ donation. But not everyone believes enough is being done. This Christchurch motelier is a persistent critic of what he regards as inadequate efforts by Organ Donation New Zealand and others to address the low deceased organ donation rate. Andy Tukey? Hello, Karen Brown here, Radio New Zealand. Andy Tukey began researching organ donation when his daughter Katie was born with a rare liver disease.
7: She never got a liver and she's now 11 years old. Of course I didn't notice at the time, they said that she wouldn't survive without a transplant. As it turns out, I mean she's a a fighter, it turns out that she's one of only 2% of children with this disease that do well.
2: But her father isn't about to give up his demand that more be done in this country to raise public awareness and boost deceased donation.
7: There is nothing to prompt anyone to discuss their wishes with their family. And that's the main thing. We need to get people to talk about it before it happens. There's no point asking for a consent from a family member at the the worst possible time. They can't make a decision then.
2: Mr Tukey still wants an online organ donor register despite having politicians, clinicians and others interrupt his efforts to get a register in 2002. He also wants anyone who indicates they would be a donor to be first in line if they ever need a transplant.
7: Even the most selfish of people would sign up to be a donor if they thought that their chances of getting an organ were better than if they weren't a donor. I mean, We ration everything in health as it is at the moment because of the limited budget. So if you've got a limited amount of um, organs, well, you have to ration them. What's the fairest way to ration them? It's frustrating to see that other countries around the world are making huge leaps in their organ donation numbers and even taking on the suggestions that we were making 10 years ago to get there, and yet we are still where we were 10 years ago with no signs of it getting any better.
2: Just over half of all driver's licence holders have donor listed on their licence. Some say it's the closest thing we have to a register, but the transport agency points out having donor on your licence is an indication only of a person's wishes and not informed consent in a legal sense. Andy Tukey says much more could be done, starting with better information so more drivers choose to tick the donor option.
7: That's the 50% that we need to be targeting, a 50% rise in organ donations would be a huge boost to saving lives in New Zealand. We need to find out why they're not being organ donors. I believe in Australia that they've got a task force currently doing that.
2: Auckland City Hospital is a major base for renal and other transplant specialists and I'm on my way to the liver transplant unit. The clinical director, Stephen Munn, says there are 20 people waiting for livers, 10 to 15% of whom will die waiting for a liver transplant. There are also waiting lists for hearts and lungs. But he says donor registers don't help, partly because they're voluntary.
3: Even in Australia, I think there's 28% of Australians that signed up on the registry. So if you were to ask any donor family, is the person on the registry, the majority of the time the answer would be no. So it's, it's not a big help. In terms of organ donation, the other issue was: well, what if the person had put their name down on a registry and then the family refused, and it was in law that you could still take the organs if the person had consented? Would you take them? And our problem with that is, is that if you have the resistance of a family member or a group of family members here and now who are saying, "No, please don't touch," you know, the body of the recently deceased, my father, my brother, my whatever. That is an extremely difficult situation for the donor team to supervene the the wishes of the family. And indeed, if that should hit the press and and become well-known, it may actually decrease organ donation rates.
2: Whether families should be able to veto another person's wishes about organ donation was roundly debated at Parliament in 2007 amid proposed law changes. But the concept still sparks heated debate. A government minister, Michael Woodhouse, has drawn up a members' bill which would boost financial support for live donors above the current compensation for lost earnings administered by the Department of Work and Income. Mr Woodhouse says he considered an amendment to prevent families overruling an individual's wish to become a donor, as expressed in what's known as an advance directive. He says he received legal advice that the current law, the Human Tissue Act, may already give people the power to indicate what they want without any chance of their desires being vetoed. As the division bells rang in Parliament, he said the idea was worthy of further exploration.
3: I don't know if that's true, but I'd really like to start a discussion about that. I'd like to hear from people who are interested in that because I think we do as a society need to have a discussion about how we are going to increase our cadaver donation rates and this is seen as one of the barriers to doing so.
2: That aside, transplant specialist and surgeon Stephen Munn says more could be done to increase organ donation rates for both living and deceased donors.
3: There is in New Zealand, for instance, a real-time death audit going on where all deaths in intensive care units around the country are monitored. And data that we've been presented with would tell us that not every person who's had a catastrophic head injury or intracranial event who is potentially brain dead is actually assessed for brain death and then all of those that are assessed for brain death are not necessarily uh, are their families approached for organ donation. So there could be a gap that we could do something about if there was somebody within those units uh, who could monitor that and make sure that it was kept to a minimum for instance.
2: Professor Munn says it would mean ensuring that part of an intensive care doctor's time was set aside specifically for organ donation. He says extra money that's been pumped into intensive care staffing in Australia has boosted donation rates by 40% and there will be lessons in it for New Zealand. A retired Christchurch surgeon, John Morton, once had the unenviable job of broaching the subject of donation with families in intensive care.
3: When I first started meeting these tragic families where people were dying, no one had done this before and. I used to dread going to see these poor people in this situation Till gradually I realised that there was a very important uh, service to provide to them, to explain to them what was happening and what the potential was for helping others and as one got more skilled at the process of seeking permission, more and more people gave permission.
2: He says trained staff, dedicated and focused mainly on this task are what's needed. Organ Donation New Zealand is the National Service for Deceased Organ and Tissue Donation which coordinates donations with transplant units in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. However, the service said it wouldn't take part in this programme if the long-time campaigner Andy Tukey was interviewed or even if he or his organisation were mentioned. Radio New Zealand was keen to speak to the service but couldn't accept conditions on who else could be interviewed for this programme. Meantime, doctors and others are turning their attention increasingly to trying to facilitate more live organ donations. It's illegal to sell or receive payment for donating an organ, but voluntary donation, where appropriate, is welcomed for those over 18. Live donor kidney transplants are also very successful, with kidneys from living donors lasting 15 to 20 years on average. Rates of live donation compare well to that of other countries, but they too have declined to about 12 donors per million people. Donors are either altruistic, donating to anyone who needs an organ, or directed to a specific person, often a relative. Nick Cross of Canterbury DHB says they've had more than 20 altruistic donors in the past 15 years and that rate of altruistic donation is the highest in Australasia.
4: It astounds me that people put their hands up in this way but we have them approaching us all the time actually.
2: Auckland specialists say there's also a high number of volunteers in its region with 160 people going through the process of becoming possible live donors. But potential donors have to go through careful tests of their physical and psychological fitness to be donors, and between 10 and 15% won't get through, even if they want to go ahead.
0: Hello, Helen speaking, renal transplants.
2: Hi. An Auckland Transplant Coordinator,
0: Helen Whitehouse, says this can be upsetting for some. We had a gentleman that came forward who wanted to donate to his wife, and he um, He believed that he should just donate to her regardless of his own health issues because that's what he wanted to do. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, we have to keep people safe and we can't be taking organs from people that could potentially end up in renal failure themselves.
2: Helen Whitehouse says they've become more lenient and accept people with a body mass index of 35 and slightly higher blood pressure than was once
0: acceptable. The goalpost has moved a little bit there to allow more people through, but still this year we've declined 110 donors so far.
2: A kidney transplant specialist, Ian Dittmer, is in charge of renal transplant at Auckland and says they'll do more live transplants this year than ever before.
8: Our main aim at the moment is to increase the number of live donors, so we've been working at that over the last years, and so there have been a number of things which we've done which have meant that some people who would not have been able to be a live donor beforehand have been, and so that, for instance, would be blood group incompatible live donor transplants, and so that was an absolute contraindication, so you couldn't go ahead if the donor was the wrong blood group for the recipient, and so now we've done 15 or 20 of those um, transplants in Auckland over the last four or five years.
2: The DHB also has 20 to 25 people from throughout New Zealand enrolled in a paired kidney exchange scheme. The system hopes to achieve a swap situation across a group of people for those who want to give a kidney to a partner but have an incompatible cross match. Dr Dittmer says generally speaking they have to be conservative about who they allow to go on to donate.
8: There are people who have been live donors around the world and even in New Zealand who have gone on and developed kidney failure. And that is clearly a problem and one of the reasons why we don't just say, yes, everybody can be a live kidney donor.
2: Doctors and nurses are careful not to influence decisions about whether to donate, seeing their role as only to assist a person's own decision. Kidney specialist Kelvin Lynn says every operation has its risks.
4: You then have to have an operation that you didn't need for your health. And it's a big operation it you know, involves uh, three days in hospital, involves anaesthetic, that there's a finite risk that you might die. It's very small. Uh, there's a risk that you may have a, a bleed from the area where the kidney's taken from. You may have ongoing pain in the wound. You may, afterwards you may feel a bit down. Uh, you have to have time off work. So there's a significant sacrifice that you make. And then you have, at the back of your mind, even though you've been told it's prob- it's not a big issue, you, you think, well, I've only got one kidney now. You know What about my future kidney health?
2: Mel Cox, who gave a kidney to her mother, says she underestimated the impact of the operation.
5: It was a huge operation and I probably hadn't quite prepared myself for that. I'm well, I'm fit, I'm healthy, and so I thought in my head I'd be up and running in two weeks, yeah. and it certainly wasn't
2: like that at all. Four months is considered ideal for the workup period for donors, but in reality, it can take up to three times as long. A transplant coordinator, Helen
0: Whitehouse, says sometimes delays are inevitable. It can be quite frustrating for donors when they they feel like nothing's happening and you know I, I'm sure most people think that they're the only donor but they're not and you know in, when you're in that situation you are the only donor and I understand and appreciate that people feel like that but unfortunately our resources aren't enough to be able to cater to 160 people within a, a good time framework. The transplant coordinator in Christchurch, Sarah Armstrong, says she sends
2: out 100 booklets a year to people who express an interest in live donation and may hear back from only 20 or 30.
6: Now it could be that when they realise what really is involved in living donation is, is more than they thought, more steps, more, more involved, um, they may be uncomfortable with the risks or they may feel that they haven't got the time um, or the resources to come in for appointments, but it may be also that they just cannot see how they will survive
2: financially. Auckland specialist Stephen Munn believes not enough is being done to help live organ donors.
3: People come here to Auckland, they have to travel, they have to be accommodated, um, they are off work. The wind's payment certainly doesn't cover their loss of income. Many people have mortgages or... Things like that, and we we fully expect that they'll forego that. They might have to take um, six weeks off work to donate to a friend or a family member, and somehow we just think that they should put up their hand and, and be able to to do that. And I think that's probably pretty unreasonable. When you think about a transplant, the the transplanting centre benefits in terms of getting reimbursement for their expenses. The recipient benefits in terms of coming off dialysis the recipient DHB benefits by having that patient come off dialysis. The only person who doesn't benefit is the donor.
2: A Wellington researcher who is also a live donor herself, Paula Martin, surveyed all those on the waiting list for a kidney and says even those desperate for a kidney are concerned about how the donor comes out of the whole scenario.
6: They'd feel so guilty if, if something went wrong and the transplant failed or you know they, they rejected their body rejected the organ or whatever. In actual fact, New Zealand has very good transplant survival rates. They're very high, and maybe patients don't always know that.
2: The Health Minister, Tony Ryle, put aside $4 million in the budget last year to boost both living and deceased donor rates. On the latter, he says overseas experience shows skilled doctors and nurses in intensive care can increase rates and improvement across the board is needed.
3: The constraint is the availability of the organs for transplant. That's why we're investing in Organ Donation New Zealand, doing the paired kidney exchange stuff, and that's where the level of investment is at the moment. I would say, though, that if we can't see a measurable and definitive uplift in donation rates in the next couple of years, then I think we've got to say, well, what have we got from that $4 million that we put in and what else can we do differently to lift those donation rates?
2: He also says if the Michael Woodhouse-initiated Members' Bill to boost support for live donors isn't drawn from the ballot soon for introduction in Parliament, the government may add the measure to its own legislative programme. However, law change can only contribute so much... Organ donation is fraught with ethical issues and arguments, including surrounding payment for donation. Experts such as Stephen Munn suggest that, if anything, the arguments involved in this area of health rationing will only get tougher.
3: We do our utmost, but I think that the more the shortage persists and the worse it becomes, the more dire those ethical conundrums will become.
2: I'm Karen Brown and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Jeremy Veal.